Thanks for listening to the nice podcast. I'm Dave Delaney. If you haven't noticed, we've taken a little bit of a hiatus over the last several months. Uh, A big revelation was found. I have ADHD, and that explains a whole lot. And of course, naturally, as a veteran podcaster, I started another podcast all about it, and it's called ADHD Wise Squirrels, and you can find it at wisequirrels.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Just search ADHD Wise Squirrels. Pop over and have a listen. Let me know what you think. Thanks. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Nice. 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 Nice with Dave Delaney. Today I'm chatting with executive coach, MC, keynote speaker, and the author of the new book, The Surprising Gift of Doubt, Mark Pittman. Mark, thank you so much for joining me. Oh my goodness, Dave. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. I've been really excited. I know uh, we were we were just talking a little bit before we got started about how we uh, we were both in a, in a speakers group together, uh, you know, and and miss I, you know we both miss that kind of connection. So it's uh, it's definitely nice to to reconnect with you. I haven't haven't, we haven't talked in a while. Well, it's it's interesting the power of uh, masterminds or informal groups or gatherings where we can get together with people of like mind and uh, Mm -hmm. expand. And it's a safe place to let our hair down, but also a safe place to intentionally grow and learn from each other's expertise. Mm -hmm. It's really great. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, it it certainly was. And, and uh, so I've been, I've been looking forward to this and and sharing, you know, mainly, I mean, I mainly want to talk about, about your book, obviously that's why we're here, but the book is, (laughs) is, is fantastic. But, um, but before we do, let's talk a little bit about the speaking business. Cause I know we have uh, fellow speakers and aspiring speakers who listen to this podcast. What are what, how have you been doing um, during this downtime of of not traveling and not standing on stages in front of people? How how has that been going for you? What dare you dare I ask? Yeah, no, it's been going. It, we're it's okay. Uh, part of it is um, I laughed about the not traveling because as an extrovert, I didn't realize how much I had really crafted my life to allow my extrovert to get out out there and not mm. inflict it on my family. So to be together for <laughs> a year has been that that has been changing, life changing. Yeah. Um, but last year, this is so we're, you know, the just before the pandemic started, because of the speaking industry, I had noticed that this this thing could be bigger than I didn't know it would be a global lockdown. But um, that there was there were conferences being canceled. Um Early, like in December we, of the, of nineteen uh, two thousand nineteen, we were starting to hear that, mm. and uh, I ended up going out to do a talk in February of twenty twenty uh, with an organization, and then having a just kind of business retreat with my best friend um, out in the Seattle area, 
And uh, we walked through my income streams and my competency to get them to where I needed them to be for the next year, which is just, it was incredibly, again, having somebody that you can trust with your numbers is amazing Mm because I don't share those with many people. Mm -hmm. But um, that the result of that in that February board retreat was not, I I don't know how I get speaking gigs. 40% of my income is speaking. I don't know how I get them. Um, So coaching was where I was going to flex most of the year because I know how to get coaching clients. And so when the lockdowns happened, I didn't go into the lockdowns expecting any speaking income, which was a Mm. huge win. (laughs) And I've been doing webinars and online training since 2003 in ways that People are shocked. Even even if I'm just in a studio recording, people were, didn't realize I would, didn't have a live audience in front of me. So um, mm. so I have a lot of reps, and I've gotten a lot more reps in the last year from that. Uh, but one of the things I did do, too, though, during that time speaking-wise was uh, finished my certification for the National Speakers Association's CSP, Certified Speaking Professional, which is the top earned honor uh, in the speaking industry. So it's, yeah, I had to look at over all 10 years of uh, the past 10 years of speaking, make sure I had a certain income level for five of those years, uh, income level you could live on for five of those years. And they specify what that level is. Um, it had all the updated contact information for all the people that hired me so that they could go back and check to make sure I qualified in a certain customer service and expertise uh settings or, or yeah. whatever their, their survey and then submit a keynote, um, and have it reviewed by current CSPs to see if it meets the criteria. And I earned it in the midst of that. So I'd finished the paperwork. Uh, and so I was, I was really glad I did it all before the lockdowns <laughs> because wow. it had been really hard to keep up the minimum number of gigs that I had to have it had to be 250 gigs and just, yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. So, that's huge. That's a, it big, is that's a big deal. Really a big honor. Um, a lot of certifications are external validation that, uh, are really only important to the person getting certified, mm. but this is one that, um, I feel like I really have earned and I've had other people that actually have heard of it, even if they're not speakers, which is intriguing to me because it's still relatively obscure outside Mm. of the speaking profession. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think also part of the, uh, part of that process that you went through for that application is something that, you know, nice makers can, can do if, especially in a, in a consulting type of role or coaching or something like that, where, or, or speaking, of course, where you and I've done this exercise myself of going through, but like formally sitting down, going through your calendar, going through old agreements and invoices and such, and making yeah. a full list of all of your previous clients, and then making a note next to them, like for yourself internally, of, of making a note of how that, you know, rolled out and how it went and so forth. But then finding that these people, I mean, hopefully, you know, most, most of our listeners have a great track record with their clients like <laughs> you do, I'm sure. And I, I have great, uh, feedback. Um, but this is a good process to go through people that have hired you before yes. and then start knocking on doors again. If you find that business has dried up a little bit or things are kind of slower right now, these are, these are relationships that you have. How, did you do something like that? I had perhaps? to do what I, so I went back to each one because I had to have the updated contact information and it, I was genuinely filled with joy every time I saw some of these gigs because I remembered them. Mm. Um, the two challenges for me, one, my first book was Ask Without Fear, which was for the nonprofit for accidental fundraisers, board members and nonprofit needed mm. to, the nonprofits needed them to raise money. Um, so many of my talks were to, to 
in the nonprofit space, which is all volunteer committees. So they, they come together to put on an event and then they disband. So it's not like you're speaking with a static person at a company. Yeah. Um, for the vast majority of mine. Uh, the other thing that I had to avoid doing <laughs> was saying, thanks for taking a risk on me. Because they weren't taking a risk when they hired me. They thought I had the goods to deliver. When they hired me, that's why they paid me. Sure. But um, I know how much better I am now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so I had to really – the first few emails, I had to really continue to not hit sell and just reread them and make sure that they they would still feel good about the choice they made 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> that's in, that's interesting too because you look back at like, you know, your old decks perhaps. I, I know I do. I do and, yeah, and cringe at like, oh gosh, what was I thinking with this well, design cringe, layout? But you or... also, one of the good things, if anybody does this, uh, any of the listeners, one of the good things I found about keeping my old decks is that I cut out parts that I forget how good they are. Yeah. Uh, first time or whatever and then I build my next talk based on the, the most recent slide deck and now I'll go back into some that I gave 10, 12 years ago and realize, holy cow, that was a really good bit. I really am missing. Mm. Um, I could re-add this. Uh, I, yeah, authors may go through this too. I, I was reading uh, – rewrite my book, Ask Without Fear, to write it as uh, – I have a couple of Ask Without Fear for certain sp- sectors. So it's mm-hmm. like my Ask Without uh, – my uh, Chicken Soup for the Soul. And I was re- rewriting – rereading Ask Without Fear and I kept saying, oh, I should have said this. And so I was starting to type it out on the manuscript. And the next paragraph actually had that. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh, okay. Maybe I should just read the book again and refamiliarize myself with what I said, <laughs> the way I presented it here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. That's great. Well, tell me. So, so how did the idea? So, so for for everybody listening, the the surprising gift of doubt, use uncertainty to become the exceptional leader you are meant to be. Um, and I do. I love. I love the book. How did the, how did the book come to be? Well, this is a this is the book that. Um, there's so much of, I, I should have, I had a concise answer and about three just kind of railroaded in my brain just now. Sorry about that. <laughs> my train of thought just collided. The It came to be out of a, a number of different spaces. One thing was uh, for years, people have asked me, what do you do? And I would say, well, I'm an executive coach. And they'd say, oh, okay. And then they'd kind of process it and their, their, their face would crunch up a little bit, their head would tilt and they'd say, so what do you do? Right. And, I, and because coaching isn't consulting where you come in with a formula and this is the formula you do and you step, start at start point A and you move to point D, um, because coaching is very much about the, the coachee, the person being coached and their brilliance and meeting them where they are. My operation has always been, I want to, I help people excel and, and mission, vision, values, leadership. That's always been my, my space. Hmm. But when you say that to somebody that's look that has a problem they want fixed, that sounds kind of like you're selling snake oil or, you know, you're, you're, it's all smoke and mirrors because you're just saying, no, I trust me. I've got it. So what this was, was trying to show them in the trust me, I've got it. There's a ton of tools that I use. Mm. I just, they're organic. I will only use the ones that will help you. It's just like any toolkit. You don't always have to use a hammer if that doesn't fit the, the situation. Right. So. Um, it's been, I've been trying to do it for about six years. I have a lot of discarded drafts on my computer, mm-hmm. but when the pandemic hit, my wife and I, I, I agreed, she said, this is it. We need to just kind of go full bore into this. This is something we've been trying to have for Concord leadership group for a while. So, uh, she gave me full permission to do that. And, uh, it's been so honoring. It's so well received and it's, mm. it's my eighth book. So when you get excited as an author with your, your eighth book, it's, uh, it says something to me anyway, because the team that page two publishing, uh, 
edited a book that I enjoy reading too, <laughs> which is really, really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And page two are fantastic. Yeah. Um, we're actually chatting now. Um, Good. yeah, yeah. Um, and so how, tell me about your, tell me about your relationship with your wife in that way. Like how is she, what's her name again? I'm sorry. Emily. Emily. Right. So yeah, so Emily, Emily and helped? I, uh, we got married right out of college and we've been, whenever people hear our life story, mm. they hear it as the word intentional. You, you both are intentional. It comes up a lot, mm. uh, because we did things like we left our a job. I, one of my a job I loved, but it was taking me away from home and we, we had gotten married to do life together. And it was, it was causing us to not do life together anymore. It was causing us to move on two separate kind of paths. Mm. So we moved to a boarding school campus where we were dorm parents and, you know, she ran, she was a dorm mom for 40 teenage girls and I was doing faculty work, uh, there and we had, um, sit down dinners because that was kind of the life community that we wanted. So we things very intentionally and she is, um, an amazing, uh, just litmus test of ideas. She was really annoyed when I, I branded as fundraising coach because she knew I was bigger than that. She's, she has known all along that I've been a, a leadership guy. Mm. I knew that fundraising had the, the ROI implied in it. You know, if you said fundraising, people would, Oh, if I hire him, he's going to, you know, increase my, my revenue. So, um, but it, so this book too is also something that, is a some a testament to what she knows has known for twenty years. <laughs> this mm. is this is what you offer. You offer you help people that are struggling with that, help them get out of it, and you help leaders that have already experienced success that nobody else seems to think need they need coaching or help. You help you're a safe person to help them. Yeah, so. yeah, that's that's great. Yeah, and I, I part I, part of the reason why I asked too is I mean Heather, you know, my wife has has been such a support. Um, with, with everything I do. And so she definitely, when I was writing my first book and for those, you know, those who, who don't maybe have a book yet, um, you might realize that there is a little bit of self doubt when you're writing a book, which we're going to talk about. Uh, and, uh, and she definitely talked me off the roof multiple times. So. Oh, that's so helpful. <laughs> yeah. Big time, big time. So let me ask you very quickly. Um, what is the nicest thing someone has done for you recently? Well, we're in this midst right now of uh, at the time of this recording, my wife just had a uh, major surgery on her foot or her leg, and it was the first major surgery in our 26 years of marriage for either of us outside of childbirth. Um, so not that that was surgery, but it was mm. medical. Yeah, <laughs> sure. sure. So I think that what we've been surprised by is the families that are bringing over meals and flowers and sending us cookies and stuff. Um we're both firstborn New Englanders, and so I have a hard time when when our pastor reached out and she asked me what can we bring um, or how can we help. I my knee jerk reaction is always I can do it myself. Pull my, pull myself up on the bootstraps, um, and I pr actually prepared the kids too just to let them know that you know families from the church are going to be bringing over meals. Mm -hmm. uh, just so you know that, and and whether we need it or not, it is a right thing for us to receive it. Well, we haven't realized how. How we're at the end of those that first wave of meals, and it's kind of we're, we're just realizing how nice it was to know that every other week, every other day or so, uh, we weren't going to think about meal prep. Mm. Uh, so that's probably the nicest, and and it's hard because it was not it's not a comfortable place to be um, to have that uh, for me to ask for help. I love asking people, "What do you need? How can I help? How can I support you?" Yeah, but to be the one that's on the receiving end um, is still something I need to. <laughs> 
I guess I need to grow more in, which sounds so <laughs> self-serving. I, well, I no, need, no. I, I think, need to be receiving more. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I think, I think, I think when you know, uh, this gets back to actually the first episode of this podcast. I interviewed Chris Brogan and we talked about how he dislikes the phrase, how can I help you? Because instead, it, it's better to find a way to help someone r- r- and, and offer that or even just provide it. So, so in this case, that. yeah, yeah. And, and, and in this example, I mean, you know, your, your, uh, your folks there knew that you needed, this is what you were going to need during this time. And so they, they went out of their way to, to provide it. Well, so and somebody just asked idea. also, how can I help you over the weekend? And it was fun to, it was exactly that. I don't know, but this mm. is, but at least I could say, but families have been, you know, providing meals and sending flowers and those have been yeah. remarkable. One of the things I did tell our kids was we may not like the food and we right. can throw it away. We will give ourselves permission to freeze it or throw it away depending on what. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. So that they it allowed them to receive it with more open hands too cuz um uh there's yeah, it's just it's something about being uh, yeah, being receiving somebody else's generosity. Yeah. Um I my whole career has been helping people be generous to causes that they support. Yeah. Uh or to you know teams that they they have built up as entrepreneurs. Uh, so to receive it is something that is, um, yeah, it's a different muscle to flex for sure. Hey, you're listening to the nice podcast with Dave Delaney. That's me. Visit futureforth.com to learn how we can transform the communication at your organization. And if you need a speaker for your next online event or your in-person conference, are we doing in-person conferences yet? Soon, I hope. Uh, you can visit DaveDelaneySpeaks.com and uh, you'll learn more about working with me there. All right, let's get back to the show. How old are your kids? Uh, t- they change every year. Hold on. Uh, so, <laughs> which is good. That's the goal. Um, oh, 21, yeah. uh, almost 19, and just turned 16. Okay, wow. Yeah. Wow. So 21. So, you know, so there is a light Two at the end college, of college, one in high school. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cause yeah, my kids are, are 14 and 15 and help me, please, <laughs> please help me. They keep getting more and more fun the older they get. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's what I hear. That's what I, and, and I guess for, for you and Emily managing, uh, you mentioned what, what was 40 teenage girls. Is yeah. that what you said? Yeah. We felt like we get to cut our teeth in, in parenting before actually having our own. <laughs> I can't imagine that drama. <laughs> I can't imagine it. All right. But we so, homeschooled as well. Yeah. So up until oh, yes. last year. So Emily has uh, was running our school for all three of them. And we wow. never – even though we had told people we wanted to do that, nobody ever suggested having them a little closer together so that you could kind of do curriculum together. So mm. she had specific like high school, middle school, elementary, uh, you know, just – very specific, different <laughs> curriculum to, to create. Oh yeah, yeah. I can't imagine. I guess to create. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Our kids are Irish twins, so they're eleven and a half. Nice. My apart. sister and I are Irish twins too. Oh, you are. Yeah. Are you guys? I knew about. Are you guys close? And me showed me that I had another sister. So yes, oh, no, okay. uh, we're we're all close, <laughs> all, all three of us. But the one I grew up with, yeah, we were very we were quite close um, until there was a point where we were antagonistic to each other. And then we realized, wait, this is dumb. We actually enjoy each other. So can we just be friends again? That's Instead great. of brothers and sisters. Yeah. That, I remember sitting on our steps, <laughs> having that conversation <laughs> together. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. I, I, you know, when we, when we were, we got pregnant the second time, uh, a lot of people were saying, yeah, those are Irish twins or people were, we had a podcast back then. It was 2005 about parenting. 
And, uh, and so we had a lot of listeners saying, Oh, Irish twins, that's going to be great. I mean, it's going to be really hard for the first year or two. And then after that, it gets easier and easier. And it's true. Like they experienced everything together. So Disney was Disney. It was just as magical for both of them yeah. and, and things like that. So, um, and they are, they are very close. Um, still they're, they're, well, they're I guess close. I have to be to, to in full disclosure, my sister is a year and 11 days after me. So mm -hmm. we're honorary Irish <laughs> twins. We don't quite make it in there. Sorry. I mean, <laughs> I think, in case anybody, any real Irish twins are wanting to keep score. Right. <laughs> uh, you're good. You're good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, I'm not really from Maine because I moved to Maine at six months after I was born. <laughs> so I'm, I'm from away still. <laughs> well, yeah, both my kids are from Toronto. I mean, they're both born in there Toronto, <laughs> but they're, but they've spent, you know, 90, percent of their lives or more here in Nashville. So uh, they're strange sounding Canadians. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so you're, you opened your book with a note on privilege, which is something I haven't seen before and, and something that's quite timely, of course. Did yeah. you want, I, I thought that was such a great, great gesture, a great thing to, to do. Do you want to talk a little bit about sure, that? Sure. Yeah. So I've always, I've spoken up for equality and um, back when high school um, in my church tradition, I was very much about biblical equality and I've been a feminist uh, that just, I guess, unassuming feminist, but I've been very vocal about um, e equality, but I've learned a lot more about equity um, in the since well, since 2016 was where I had to take a crash course in um, racial equity and systemic injustice. Um, alongside along those kind of just the learning process that I'm learning, um, the other uh, other conversations that are I was seeing and you, you, I noted in the book is this Twitter thread that was a bunch of women that were just tired of white men that clearly didn't have any house or kid child responsibilities, writing books on time management and goal setting. Mm. Uh, and the pile on effect of that really hit at the core of me. Cause I was in the process of writing a book on leadership and goal setting and all. Uh, and then the, um, uh, the murder of George Floyd also, of course, um, how it was an awareness of the, the kind of the, just the dis, disproportionate, uh, take on life that, uh, white men tend to have. And I guess it was also the third part was a, a great podcast called by the book where the two, Kristen and Jill and to the two hosts take a self-help book and live it by the book for two weeks. Mm. Um, and so they've been doing this for four years now and, just hearing some of that as women and um, women of color and, and uh, there's just a different perspective about how white men kind of seem like the systems have been in our favor for so many centuries that when we realize we're not part of the, we're not the center of the universe, we tend to write a book. There are the books that come out of that tend to be white men realizing, Oh, the world doesn't revolve around me. And here's what I've learned mm. as though nobody else knew that as a women in misogynistic cultures didn't know that. And as mm. the people of color and white supremacist cultures didn't realize that. Right. Um, duh. And we're the only ones that have had the privilege of not knowing that you had to bend and, and, and shift and uh, adapt. So, <laughs> so writing the book, writing that note on privilege was also a way of kind of modeling my process where I'm at. Um, but part of the process of doing that was, was hiring or offering to hire 12 different editors to, after I had gone through with page two of my publishing team, just putting it out to people that were not white men, um, or straight white men. There was a one, one gay, uh, friend of mine, um, 
and just say, is this a, as accessible to a wider, uh, as diverse an audience as I think it is? Mm. And it was so helpful, Dave, to have all those, that input to have some of the blind spots. Mostly it was pop culture references. I referenced a lot of eighties movies and all that were just basically one of my, my Indian friends that you're just whitey, white, white, old man, white. <laughs> so to have, to realize, to be able to tease with integrity, some of the more, uh, references that would also uh, speak to a different, a wider audience was good. Like I, when I had a Native American person really go through this with me and Smoke Signals, I guess, is a movie that would have been very good if I had known, but there was no authenticity at all. This, you know, I'm talking about how I've coached people for 18 years. And if I watched, you know, Smoke Signals and then 18 minutes later, we're talking about it as though it were one of my stock movies, that would that was that is not the me that uh, I present. That's just not how I am. I want to be authentic, right? So, yeah. So we used other references, but it was really good to get to also get the affirmation. So as as the, the culture continues to grow and awareness of uh, in different sectors that haven't normally been aware of systemic inequity grow, there's also a sense of solidity or uh, or security I have in the book that I, this is past some really uh, vocal advocates for diversity, inclusion, and equity um, that that's already had that look, which I'm really honored that they took the time to do that with. Yeah. That, that's a great idea. Um, uh, and, and something, yeah, I regret not doing that with my book now that, that you mention it. And um, the, I was honored by how, how open people were. Cause it's awkward to ask, like, yeah, I'm not tokenizing, but I want to ask you because you're not white. <laughs> <laughs> to, right. to look at something that this white guy wrote. Um, but the people were really, they were very open to it. They were very pointed. Um, and as an author, I was really glad that, uh, went, pointed when they needed to be, but I was really glad that all of the comments that they gave me, we were able to have conversation about as opposed to me reading on an Amazon review. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I could fix and adapt and, and change some things. And I didn't do everything that they wanted. Um, there are some more inclusiveness stuff where they every, most of the points in the book are, are illustrated by stories of people I've worked with. And uh, one person had suggested I put a lot more labels on them about mm. the different – how they were different or non-neurotypical or whatever. And it would have just distracted from the story. Yeah. So I was able to, to choose to pull back on some areas. Um, but yeah, it was really helpful. <laughs> Yeah, just well, I'm tuning the- I'm just, you know, as as a as another white male, I'm just really glad that you kept all the references to the Dukes of Hazard in there. No, I'm just joking, people. What? <laughs> that would never I was from Maine. We didn't even watch that. My my parents, I think it was probably because uh I know Boss Hogg, but yeah, I think yeah. Daisy was a little bit too scantily dressed, so we weren't allowed to watch that. <laughs> Man, I, I watched that growing up, and I, I had, uh, you know, being Canadian, and and that was like, if I if I ever saw the Confederate flag, it was instantly just associating it with my like childhood of watching Dukes of Hazard. I think I probably even oh. had the toy car without even really realizing. Oh wait. Oh, the full wait. of that. Yeah. Yes. Now yeah. that I live Living in, the in South, South Carolina. Yeah. Now I know. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm in Tennessee. I know it well. Yeah. I know it well. So, um, one thing you spoke about quite a lot in the book and, and something. So I have a presentation I do called the ROI of nice and it's about three S's. It's about self, um, the stakeholders in your life and your organization and society and how to kind of give back and be nicer. Um, starting with yourself, of course. Ugh. And you wrote in your, in the book quite a lot about, uh, personality assessments. And, and it's something that I find has been incredibly helpful. I've got them pinned up above my desk. Um, 
Tell me a little bit about how you maybe uh, first discovered uh, personality <laughs> assessments and sort of yeah. how you settled on because you you wrote I, I'm not even familiar of the Highlands ability battery yeah. that was that was one I wasn't even familiar with so how did you first come across personality assessments and then how did you so the reason I included those in this is what I call this is where doubt can be the gift the gift of doubt is it could mean you're broken and there's there's a lot of tools for us to help be helped by but it could mean that you're you're opened your it opens invites you into that place of looking internally where we're told not to look if you know those feelings are subjective and you're not supposed to look internally just look to the hard facts mm. well as leaders we have to push beyond that because there's so much more of who we are and we we need to blossom into the leaders that we truly are as opposed to some weird caricature or twisting ourselves into a pretzel to try to be like somebody else we we get to be ourselves uh, mm. in the context of what the work that we're trying to do and the limitations that we have so that is why and assessments are often so either figuring out your core values or going through assessments are can be a uh, the two two most typical entry points into quadrant three uh, mm. that I find with my clients. The uh, reason I'm into them though is I grew up in a really weird family where I had schoolwork because I was a school a student, and then I had Pittman family homework because I was a Pittman. Right. <laughs> my parents were in, in a sales organization, and they were so they were learning stuff about influencing people and and goal setting that they had never learned, and they couldn't figure out why weren't we taught this in school. So I read Dale Carnegie, I read Norman Vincent Peale, listened to Florence Littauer speak on the four personality types. Um, you know, just all of the, Frank Betker's How I Raised Myself from Failure to Success in Selling, uh, the, all the goal setting books, Charlie Tremendous Jones, Life is Tremendous, and um. So the, I, I just learned to love assessments. I figure, uh, I want to be the best me I can be. And part of that is, I, for me, the way I've, I've seen that is taking these assessments and just seeing what they say about me mm. and, you know, eating the chicken, spitting out the bones, not letting them confine me to a, a constricted label, but to see where my limit, cause one of the th things I hated about, um, early life was the limitations, like early career stuff. There were limitations, but as I grew, when I wrote my first mission statement in my twenties, I wrote that I, uh, I added to it. I had I'm about my gifts and my strengths and my abilities. But then, um, later in my twenties, I wrote and my limitations because it's in the limitations where we're able to invite our team in. We're able to invite other people to fill in the gaps hmm. and, uh, we're not autonomous. We are not all, all knowing, um, all, all powerful, um, and so in those, in our cracks and in our shortcomings and our limitations can be the place where we can actually provide a lot of service by letting other people flourish. So mm. that's why they're in there. The three, the, the things I think that was really fun I've found over the 18 years of, of being a certified Franklin Covey coach is the uh, ways that you can use these assessments together. So most of us know the behavioral assessment, which is, I talk about hardwiring as being ability, behavioral, and motivation. Mm -hmm. And most of the stuff that we know is behavioral. A DISC is the one that I happen to use, uh, you know, the four personality, four quadrants, DIS and C, single caloric, melancholy, phlegmatic. It's been around since the ancient Greeks. It's observable and it's really can be helpful for teams, mm -hmm. but the Highlands is the ability one. So if you take a lot of these assessments, you know, you can spin the questions. You're like you kind of get where they're going with the question mm. with the Highlands ability battery. It's three hours of seemingly meaningless tasks that you have to do under time pressure. There is no fooling the system. The only, the first, um, first strengths are introvert extrovert. And that's the only one that has the kind of this typical assessment questions. The other 18 strengths that it pulls out are, 
tacit, you know, looking at pictures and seeing what's removed, looking at, you know, scrambled numbers and, and, and making them associate with a word and just weird things that you probably could do if you had enough time, but that's the point. You mm. don't. And so it looked, it really, it feels much more objective to me when I took it 20 years ago. Uh, life coach suggested that I take this and, uh, it really brought into sharp focus some of my, particularly some of the stressors in my life. There are certain stressors that are just, you don't know why they're there, but you're feeling stressed and you can't put your finger on it. I have found that often it's these, there are five strengths that need to be expressed if they're um, above a certain press point and the Highlands pulls those out. Uh, but it also shows you how you learn. There are five different learning channels at tests, even though we only do two in our schools, listening and reading. Um, it has a full five. And so, there's a lot of different, one of the, one of the learning channels is rhythm memory. I'm not necessarily good at playing drums, but I do, I'm good at kinesthetic learning and people that are high in rhythm memory also are good at moving. So I did, I knew as I navigated my career, I did not want to be chained to a desk. Um, hmm. Because that would probably not be a, a that would probably not be a low stress place for me. It would probably be less stress for me to be constantly moving and traveling and going to places I've never been, speaking on stages I've never been to before, than to be chained and confined to a desk. Uh, so, the, the Highlands was a really yeah. So that's kind of what you can do quickly. Uh, and what I love about it, Dave, is it allows you to build out more time. If mm. you if you know something's going to take you more time, and you're just you. Even if you don't, if you feel embarrassed about it, one of the things that showed for me was um, uh, notes were going to take a lot of like paperwork is not my strong suit. So I have to block Thursday mornings to try to work through contracts and invoices just because it takes a stupid, ridiculous long amount of time. But I'm the, these are the ones that I have to do. I can't just put it to my bookkeeper. Um, when I was working at a nonprofit, we had board meetings and, the, and every board meeting started with the approval of the minutes of the previous meeting. Mm. My secretary did not do the, you know, my board secretary did not do the minutes. I don't know why he didn't, but he didn't. <laughs> and so I knew that after the 45 to 60 minute video, uh, meeting that we did, I had to do block the next three to four hours to actually type out the minutes because if I didn't do them while they're fresh, I would not do them. To, and, and we would, you know, it would, it was just awful. It was a lot more stressful to do them later. So it helps you adapt your environment to fit yourself better within the confines of what your objectives are. I still had to do the stuff I didn't like to do. We all do. But I, that's why I, one of the reasons I love assessments is that it helps give you language to articulate that in ways that other than I don't feel like it. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't usually pass a lot of muster in most professional settings. <laughs> well, and I think a lot of time with, with assessments is they they really confirm what our strengths are. Like we, we, we know oftentimes what our strengths are, but they're just we, – we, we know it in our – like as soon as we see the results of – you know, uh, many of these, these acclaimed personality assessments is you, you, once you go through the, the results, you're like, Oh yeah, this totally makes sense. But oftentimes I think for whatever reason, maybe any ideas why we sort of bury those strengths or well, we part of, part of the thing is I think we're told, uh, it, we're, we're trained through schooling and, and sports and early jobs to look at our, our weaknesses. And how to bring those up, how to build those up. Well, yeah, you get an 80, but what about the other 20 points? You get a 97, what about the other three points? Mm. Um, or you excel in these areas, but you really need to bring up your writing so that you can get into college or whatever, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. So we're, I think we're trained or our culture trains us to look at our weaknesses. Um, and often to there's, I don't think there's a celebration of just being all we can be. 
uh, there's a lot of talk to it. There's a lot of, you know, participation trophies and stuff. Um, but it's not really the, the sheer freedom of being able to express who we are within the, you know, the context of a team moving something forward, uh, a business creating, you know, great service or, or products for, for customers. That is still feels like we're cheating if we enjoy it too much. It feels like it's not really work if it doesn't, if it doesn't hurt. So I think that could be part of it. What we do have to be careful of is confirmation bias. Uh, we can always take any of these tests. Many of these tests aren't scientifically rigorous and don't amount to much more than, you know, what Disney princess are you? A buzzfeed <laughs> sort of test, right. um, which can be a you know, can help also. Um, but the, so I think it's holding them in their proper space and then getting that, um, having some trusted people that can t- verify that with you as well, because, um, <laughs> here's a great example mm. outside of Georgia. I was doing this training and, and I was including disc in it. Um, and I love having people move to the quadrants of the room. I just moved the whole room. I've done it with over, almost a thousand people in the room. Once I put them, get them all to move into the quadrants in a really fun way, yeah. engaging way. Um, and I had a high D somebody's task oriented, dominant, um, you know, really very driven, um, say to his team, say to me afterwards, well, this was all very interesting, Mark. Uh, I know I'm a high D, I'm very task, uh, but I happen to be very social as well. So I think your, the methodology is a little flawed because I, I happen to be not only really that dominant kind of bulldozer type, but I'm also really good with people. And because I had the mic, I chuckled and said, that's, uh, you might think that, but you might want to ask your team. Uh, and then I moved on and it was really funny because after the session, <laughs> And I had seen the guy already, yeah. so I knew he wasn't good with people just from our our time in the in the together in this in the the training. Yeah. But afterwards, each each of his team members came to me afterwards and said, "Thank you so much because he's not <laughs> he really thinks he is, but he just is good at rough running over us. He's not good at working with us or collaborating." <laughs> <laughs> That's so, amazing. So you have to take it with a grain of salt, but um, yeah, I think Strengths Finder is one that was uh, has been helpful for me. I'm not certified in it, so I don't teach about it, but it it was really helpful to, to see some of my common themes and mm. to realize, Oh, that's why I feel the sense of completeness with today. Cause I spent the whole day learning something new. Yeah. And, and for me, that's something that I really kind of groove on. I need, I need to always be learning something new. Uh, and that it's just, yeah. And it's, it's usually, it's a good confirmation of, um, you know, where I need to grow too. Oh, all right. I didn't learn anything new today because I was just doing the stuff, but that's good because <laughs> I have right. stuff to do. <laughs> right, right, right. And also finding, I think outsourcing or finding other team members or True. whomever who, who are, who are uh, talented at the, at your quote unquote weaknesses, but that can pick up pick it up where you're not able to, you know? Absolutely. Some of the, I, as a solopreneur, I try, tend to think I'm the only one that can do the stuff that I, I, I do. Uh-huh. Uh, cause I only, I'm the only one that cares as much, <laughs> yeah. but it's not true. And I, I, as I've hired a bookkeeper and now hired someone to do some of the, there was mechanistic stuff that I was doing with my membership society that she's able to do on a regular basis. And my wife has picked up some, the stuff that takes a little bit more executive decision-making and she's awesome at that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then find the most recent thing. I probably the nicest thing recently I have offloaded is a bulk of my social media updating. I'm very good on social media, but it was taking me four hours to do the maintenance social media stuff of this is the next training. This is the next call stuff that was just wrote. And, uh, somebody stepped in and I've, I've brought her on and, uh, she's adding a whole nother level of expertise with the graphics and all that I just didn't have. So, uh, yeah, you know, I think it's one of those things of why didn't I do this earlier? (laughs) 
<laughs> right. This, this frees me up to do so much more cool stuff. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's a big finding from, from doing these personality assessments. It is tapping into your strengths and, and where you're, you're weaker and realizing that. Yeah. I've, uh, once you do this, you see the results. And that's when you have that realization that, wait a minute, I should outsource this or I should get somebody to help me with this at least or, or something like that. You mentioned that you're more extroverted. I too am extroverted. <laughs> and there was actually just an article, a study uh, published. And I just shared it on social yesterday or a couple of days ago. I don't have it in front of me. But it was about uh, uh, the findings that extroverts are, uh, yeah, having a hell of a time with this pandemic. <laughs> Go figure. And it's amazing because, you know, I, I, I wrote about in my book and new business networking and, and on my blogs and, and, you know, I write a lot about introverts and about, and I'm not an introvert, but I've talked to plenty of introverts and my wife is one about, you know, networking effectively as an introvert and communication skills and things and finding that. You know, it's, it's, it's an especially tough time right now because if you are more extroverted, well, the introverts are in their happiest place because they don't have to go to all these events. Except that they're stuck with all the extroverts. <laughs> well, if they live with one, that's a different story. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious what the divorce rate is, uh, after COVID. That'd you know, be it's that whole thing. I'm living the dream. Yeah. It's a, it's a nightmare, but it's still a dream. <laughs> but a lot of, but a lot of society make, uh, you know, us uh, and rightfully so, you know, uh, focus on introverts and think, you know, what can I do to help introverts and things like that? But I think now the introverts are in their happy place and the extroverts are not happy and there's no one to support them. There needs to be like an extrovert support group just for extroverts. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I've seen an introvert uh, clubhouse room, which cracked me up because who would want to talk? <laughs> but right, no, right. part of what I love about the assessments too is that I, it gives me a, for, a, a format or a forum to be able to share, to really build up. Introverts are really down, brought down in our, or, or devalued in our culture. Yeah. And so to be able to bring them up and be able to show how they can be strong leaders without having to be the outgoing, gregarious, walk around the office type person. Right. Um, so that I, that's a huge part of it. Um, yeah, for me, I've had to just kind of rechannel. One of the things that the extroverts I learned from Highlands was that if you're not stimulated by new people, you'll stimulate yourself with other things, usually food. Mm. Um, and so, um, just going for a car drive um, has been something that going to someplace I haven't known, not necessarily getting out in pandemic, but yeah. uh, that has been something that's been new for me. Um, I brew my own beer too. So there's a, always a new aspect of, you know, the, the way I'm mixing the, the ingredients and mm. the way, the way I'm putting together the equipment. So I tried to do a few, a few certain things that are new that even though they're not, cocktail parties and, you know, winning over others that I've never met before. <laughs> right, 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 right. Well, I, I find that, um, and one thing with, with eating, uh, something that I have done a fair amount of is, um, something I've learned recently is that your brain can't, doesn't know whether you're hungry or thirsty and that nine times out of oh. 10, nine times out of 10, you're actually thirsty. Um, and also oh, that if good. you, if you are drinking water, uh, presumably when you are thirsty, um, you've already been thirsty too long. So right. even when you're not craving wow. water or, you know, something like that, if you're not craving a drink, 
um, chances are you are thirsty. And if you're feeling peckish, um, if you, you go and have some water, it'll actually, you know, tie you over. And so that, that's something I learned recently that I'm like, Oh, that's okay. Cool. I need Thank to be, you. I need to be doing that. Yeah, more. Cause I don't want to have the COVID-19 stay with me forever. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Freshman 15 or freshman five. COVID <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All right. So let's move on to the lightning round. Complete okay. this sentence. Nice guys finish and gals finish. Happily. Nice. What's a nice book you recommend to the nice makers? Oh, not your um, own. I like Bob Berg's From Adversaries to Allies. Um, uh, I think that's uh, Winning Without Intimidation is the way I ne- heard it first. I think that's a really good one. Yeah, and Bob's great too. How is Mark Pittman nice to himself? That is the hardest question. I ask my coaching clients too. How do you celebrate? What do you do to, to pat yourself on the back? For me, I think what has happened since the pandemic has been um, a really a doubling down, which sounds odd, on centering prayer or mindfulness mm-hmm. routine um, and giving myself credit for sitting in a chair for 20 minutes and um, doing that, that kind of exercise. And I, I found it has built a lot more capacity in my life for the people that are most important to me. I'm a lot more uh, resilient or, uh, or softer in my approach to them than I would be if I were not, if my brain were soaked in cortisol. So I am nice to myself by doing centering prayer on a more consistent basis. I won't call it consistent yet, but more and, consistent. <laughs> so you mentioned this is similar to, to mindfulness in that are you actually sitting quietly praying to yourself or are you sitting quietly uh, <laughs> I do think I nothing? am a god but <laughs> well no 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 not to yourself in that way to the god uh, to, 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 but what? but like because I've been, I've been practicing mindfulness and meditation for real like steadily for about a, a year and a half and uh, I've dabbled over the years but I find that um, man one of the tough like guided meditation is one thing but but sitting by myself for like 20 minutes is I have a heck of a time because I start thinking of like all the things I need to do and the steps that I need to do. And like, I'll open my eyes and look at the the clock and it's been like three minutes. And I'll be like, Oh my gosh, I got to get back to this part of in college. One of the things I knew as an extrovert, because the, the, my wiring, um, even in college, I was aware that I needed to learn to be comfortable, not around other people. Like mm. I need that. I have a strength and I have an ability, but I also had to be good with the, I guess, the yin and the yang, I guess. So I had studied Centering Prayer with a book called Centering Prayer, uh, uh, Catholic priest, Father uh, Basil Pennington wrote. And so my, for me, the and I'm a head type too. I'm always in my head. So the uh, guided meditations, I need to re-explore. But for a while, they really felt like uh, two things were happening. One was, I don't know where they're going and that doesn't make me feel safe. Like, uh, you know, what are they, what are they trying to sell me something? Are they trying to manipulate me? Is this just, I I never, it it wasn't necessarily a safe feeling, but the other part was with Basil Pennington's, uh, image that he gave, he gave in the book that the one I took away anyways, you're in a deep river and your goal is to sink down to the, um, the center stream, the undertow and connect with the current that's Mm -hmm. going on there. And there are all these, uh, water skiers and jet skiers and, and fishing, people fishing on the top of the river. And those are the thoughts that come in. And so they're trying to lure you up like the hook. They're trying to hook you up and bring you back to the surface. And you just can look at them non-judgmentally and say, well, that's interesting. And then center back down. Um, and so it's always been within a Christian tradition that I've done these. Uh, but yes, the, for me, the, um, I did headspace, all the pro levels of headspace. And the fact that 
what whatever his the guy's name is would talk in the beginning was sort of like, could you just stop? Now yeah. <laughs> I'm appreciative of it because I'm using um, I think it's Insight Timer. I don't know. Yeah. I'm using something else, and um, I love just I, I talk in my head all the time, so I love the the freedom to just let it go. Yeah, just let it go. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that. That's not what I'm here for. Yeah. I'll have to talk to my dad and see if he has a copy of that because he was a Catholic priest. Oh, nice. Yeah. Like yeah. Basil Pennington. And there's another gentleman yeah. who does a lot of good, uh, um, mindfulness and meditation, mystical stuff. That was uh, a partner of his. I just saw some YouTube stuff, things on, uh, when I Googled Basil Pennington, this other guy came up and okay. there's some really good teachings there. That's great. Uh, well, um, and uh, so I've got a final lightning round well, question. Okay. One other thing that I'm doing yeah. that may be simpler because 20 minutes is a, is a marathon for most of us. Yeah. Um, the uh, other thing I learned from another Catholic priest, uh, Richard Rohr, was the idea of engaging the neuroplasticity in our brains of whatever catches wonder, just staring at it for 15 minutes, seconds, mm. counting to a slow 15. And for me, it's the moon. It tends to be the moon and the stars right through our window. Uh, it even happened this morning. I looked up and there was this beautiful crescent moon. And so I just have timed myself to wait for a slow count of 15 and just a fill, be filled with that awe and the wonder that whatever it is that inspires awe and wonder in you, mm. press into that for for. 12 to 15 seconds. So, and that's been uh, incredibly nice to myself as well. Yeah. I love that. That's, that's awesome. Um, before we go, and I, I do have one last question, but cool. I do want to ask you also um, about your top 100 magnet goals. Uh-huh. Uh, not your top goals, but um, you, <laughs> you, that would be a long list, um, <laughs> but you have in your book, a lot of activities. And that's one thing I really, really like about it. It, and and the magnet goals uh, was something that really stood out to me. I will admit I'm still at 10. Uh, and so I need to get back at it. And you even warned me in the book, yep. like you warned the reader, you're like, you're going to do the first 10 and then you're going to get, you know, squirrel or you're going to whatever, yep. be distracted by life. Uh, and it might be difficult to get back at it. How, uh, tell us just very quickly about that, about what that that is. And of course, I well, encourage so everyone part of to buy it, the book. I, I, because I grew up with all these different goal setting programs, I kind of matched together my own, what worked for me. Many of them don't work. Certain parts of systems would work. So I put together my own, called it Magnet Goals, built it. It was the first product that I launched and when I started my coaching program and found quickly found out nobody wants to set goals. They want to complete them. So so I've used – but it's something I've used with my coaching clients going forward and put in trainings. And the first step that Dave's referring to is uh, listing out 100 things you want to do, dreams, hopes, goals – Tasks even, um, we get, uh, we can get really, um, nerdy about is it a task? Is it a goal? Is it a dream? Is it a superstition or is it a vision, a fantasy? Forcing you to write, fill in a hundred, forcing myself to fill in a hundred spots gets me, lets me free of that. And I can just put everything in there. I can put everything from, um, you know, my income goal for the year to being interviewed positively by Oprah. Uh, you know, there's mm. all the, the, which is like a fantasy. I don't know that any connection to her yet, right. <laughs> but um, I can keep it in there. And as I've done it and with intensives, uh, pre pandemic, people would come into Greenville and work a whole day on these quadrant three things. And it's been amazing to see how forcing people to the, the pressure of filling a hundred spots allows you to reintroduce your humanity to your goal setting. It's not just your, tasks that you have to do. It's, it's a part of who you are. It's the, the hopes and dreams that you have, the hobbies that you'd forgotten that you like doing. Um, and people, again, that guilt feeling of, it's okay, Mark, it's okay if, if I put this on my list, 
because it's not really work related. And mm-hmm. I'll you know look at them and kind of grin and say, yeah, it's your list, your yeah. list. So yeah, fill it in with whatever you want. Right. Um, and so that those don't become your. So if anybody else is listening and they're you know scolding goals, no way. There's no way you could focus on all 100. So the process helps you limit it down to three to five. But the amazing thing with 100 is if you just wrote a, wrote a list of 100 things you want to do in the year and put it in a drawer, you'd be shocked at how many things get accomplished. I had one of my friends uh, that you may know, John Swanson, mm. did, I think it got to maybe eight or nine and because he just doesn't think that uh, that way. And he got really frustrated with the process. And then about three years later, he pulled out the list. He found the list again. And by nine, he was going really fanciful. By eight and nine, there were two things on his list that were just like way beyond whatever he thought he could ever do and would be real. Wow. And three years later, he looked at it and he realized the last two years of his life, his life had been lived in those two spots. Ah, which interesting. Were like, yeah, he had actually adapted. So I think there's something pretty powerful about human beings that we are um, – uh, goal. I think it was Maxwell Maltz that called this goal seeking. Uh, you know, they're heat seeking missiles, but we're goal seeking individual people. We have an inner compass that orients around goals. And when we write them down, we start a process in motion that even if we're not aware of it continues, which is really cool. Yeah. And I, you know, I've, I've had this, I've gone through some of my old journals recently oh, and, what uh, a great process. and, and, you know, and I used to bitch and complain about lots, uh, in my journals. And so going back to the nineties when I was living in Ireland, um, you know, uh, Heather and I had just started seeing each other and she had to go home for a summer and I was wondering whether she'd come back. And so I was miserable. And, and so I wrote about, um, uh, you know, the common themes in, in my journal were about, uh, hangovers and why I should stop drinking. <laughs> uh, uh, the fact that I was so broke, like really broke. The fact that I, uh, couldn't even afford cigarettes back then. And then the fact that Heather left me and then, or not left me, but left, you know, Ireland. And, uh, and then I, I, you know, I had no idea at the time that we would end up being married, let alone see each other again. But, you know, I'm now over 20 years without a cigarette or a drag. I'm a year, 300 days today without beer, without alcohol. Wow. Yeah. And, 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 and I'm happy. And like, I realized like, oh, wait a minute. Like, you know, so I think journaling and, and writing down these goals, like, like you've illustrated really well in the book is just a fantastic idea. All right. Last question. If you had a billboard, what would it say? Oh, life's short. Live passionately. I love it, Mark. That's been my motto for years. Yeah. I love it. I love <laughs> Thank it. Thank you. <laughs> so uh, how can people get a hold of you and find your book too? Yeah. You can Google Mark with a C, Pittman with one T. And if I've done my job well in the last 20 <laughs> years, you'll find me. Uh, Concord Leadership Group is where the leadership stuff is housed. The Magna Goals is there. It's also included in the book. And The Surprising Gift of Doubt is available in all fine stores where books are sold or can be ordered by them too. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, and it is really a great book. I loved it. So thank you for spending some time with us. Well, thanks for having me on. It's been really nice. Thanks for listening to the Nice Podcast. Theme music provided by Alistair Crystal at alistaircrystal.ca. Hey, if you enjoyed the conversation, please take a moment to leave us a review. The links are in the description. I'll have more of that soon. Did you know that new subscribers of the Nice Maker email newsletter receive a free copy of my little ebook, Improve with Improv? Each Friday, I share nice stories, tools, tips, and much more. And you can grab it now from nicemaker.co or by clicking the link in the episode description. I'm Dave Delaney. 
Take care and be nice. The